the NFL Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gambling Podcast Network is presented by WinBet. WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. From boosted same game parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet has what you need to win. Sign up today and bet $100 to win a free $100 at sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. I'm just about that action, boss. You have to be kidding me. That is impossible. I'm raising the ante. Anybody wants it again? Welcome, everybody, to the NFL Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. I am your host for this episode, Scott Reichel. And unlike other episodes, I'm actually going solo here. We had a couple of scheduling conflicts, and as a result, I am the one who stayed up at 3 in the morning. So the show must go on. Monday Night Football game, of course, we're going to talk about it here on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. And that's why I'm here talking to all of you. So we're going to go through the Bengals-Browns game taking place on Monday night. But before I get into that, do want to briefly discuss some of the takeaways that I had for Week 8. Not going to go too in-depth on it. I know that there is a show coming out in about a day or two that's going to recap it more in-depth. But still, want to give my brief takeaways. So starting off with the early games at 1 o'clock, you had the game in London, which was very good. And to be honest, I watched none of it. And props to Russell Wilson for leading the team on a game-winning drive. Uh, My main takeaway from that game, Trevor Lawrence, really, really bad. 133 yards, two picks. That old quarterback class has been a disaster. But Lawrence was being proclaimed a franchise-saving quarterback when he was coming out of Clemson. Uh, If you don't, whether or not you believe me, that's secondary. But I was stating publicly in my own time that I thought Lawrence was one of the most overrated quarterback prospects of all time. Now he's still young. It could work out. I'm not saying he's officially a bust. But if you thought he was a franchise savior because of Clemson, I just disagreed with you at the time. And it appears that so far I'm right. But we'll see if he can piece it together. Jacksonville, though, two and six, their season's basically over. So we'll see how they look for the rest of the season. Denver season is not exactly good either, but they're three and five. So we'll see what they can do. A nice win there, though, for Mr. Unlimited. Besides that, you had one of the craziest games of the year in the NFC South, which is an awful but very, very fun division because you don't know what's going to happen game in, game out. And you had the Panthers and Falcons who were really trying to hand the game over to each other over and over again because you had the Falcons with a shot to really put the game on ice. They ended up kicking a field goal, which brought the lead to six. A first down would have ended the game. And so they went three and out, kicked the field goal. Then Carolina had a fourth down conversion, followed by a 60-plus yard bomb from P.J. Walker to D.J. Moore. Touchdown. Then in the insane situation, you had D.J. Moore taking his helmet off, and they called an unsportsmanlike penalty, which moved the Extra point back 15 yards, which would have been the game-winning extra point, and he missed it. So they went to overtime. The Falcons threw a pick, and Carolina had a chip shot field goal, and once again, the kicker missed it, and Atlanta won the game in overtime. So really just a bizarre game from start to finish. Hell of a game. Definitely the game of the day, and unfortunately, Carolina blew every chance they had to win, and Atlanta's now in first place. So congratulations to the Falcons, who are expected to tank. 
and they ended up in first place right now. I'm not sure how long it's going to last, but either way, good for the Falcons. And now, besides that, Dallas scored 49 against Chicago. Uh, Tony Pollard, a lot better than Ezekiel Elliott. That's my main takeaway. He had his first start pretty much, I think, ever. And he had three touchdowns and 140-plus yards. So I've been saying publicly on Twitter, uh, he had 130-plus yards, actually. So I've been saying for a long time that Pollard has been better than Zeke, and the only reason why they give Zeke so many touches is because they're paying him that much money. But I think everyone could tell in that game, Pollard on 14 carries for 131 yards and three touchdowns just has a certain explosiveness to him that makes him really just the... You can't bench him. Like, he's just that much better. He's so dynamic. He's a game-breaker. And Zeke's the opposite. Zeke is the safe four yards of carry guy. Very good in pass protection. Good in the goal line. But Pollard is something else. I think you got to keep using him. And I think you'll see probably moving forward it closer to a 50-50 split or maybe even Pollard getting 60 to 70% of the touches because he's really too good to be a backup running back, if I'm being totally honest. But besides that, uh, any other takeaways? Tua looked really good, but Detroit's secondary is useless, so I'm not sure what to take away from that. But still, props to Tua. Made the throws he needed to make. Uh, Hill and Waddle had 100-plus yards apiece. Waddle had two touchdowns, and yeah, Miami ended up winning the game. Besides that, Derrick Henry still owns Houston. Had another 200-plus yard rushing game. Uh, not really much more to add there. And Christian McCaffrey, really, really, really good at football. And he ended up having three touchdowns, one passing, one receiving, and one rushing. And the Rams still cannot beat the 49ers in the regular season. But besides that, that's kind of going to wrap it up for week eight. I'm sure I missed a couple of bullet points on other games. Uh, some of them were pretty self-explanatory. I didn't mention the Sunday night game. Buffalo, we expected to win comfortably because Green Bay was missing everybody, including Lazard. Buffalo took an early lead, got bored, and basically took the entire second half off offensively and still won by 10. But kind of going to wrap that up for the recap. Now it's time to get into the final game of Week 8. But before I actually get into the introductions with the injury report and with the overall game breakdown, do want to take a quick word from our sponsor. Ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. We're bringing the excitement of win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. Exclusive rewards are right at your fingertips with win rewards on WinBet. Be on the lookout for the WinBet win hour each Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern time. During WinBet win hour, marquee games of the week will have better odds on WinBet, giving you a larger payout opportunity. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet has what you need to win. Ready to play? Sign up today and receive a special offer. Bet $100 and win $100, no questions asked. There's so much to choose from. All you have to do is head over to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash winbet so they know we sent you. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T to claim your free bet today. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Welcome back, everyone, to the NFL Gambling Podcast. Just finished recapping what happened on Sunday. Now it's time to get into what's going to happen on Monday in a division matchup in the AFC North between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cleveland Browns. Numbers for this matchup are kind of all over the place in terms of spread and total. It's either three or three and a half in favor of the Bengals, and you have the over-under 
which opened up at around 47, now down to 45 and a half or 45, depending on where you're shopping. So definitely some line movement and some intriguing just lines in general, because at first glance with how the Browns have played lately, losing four in a row and the Bengals playing really good football, it does seem like this line is a little bit fishy. And I'm not saying the Browns are going to win the game because of it. I'm just saying a ton of money's on on Cincinnati, rightfully so, based on the recent form. But I do think it's pretty interesting. And I'll go through a couple of trends why I do think this line is so short that could explain it. But other than that, though, time to get into the injury report and Cleveland, which is another reason why this line is so fascinating. Cleveland is basically the infirmary right now. And Miles Garrett is probable he's going to play. You have a bunch of injuries to the offensive line. You have Haig, who's out with a concussion. You have Teller, who's out with a calf injury. You have, uh, who else am I missing here? You have Hubbard, who's out indefinitely with an illness. You have, uh, yeah, you have Deaton on the IR, Harris on the IR. A lot of offensive linemen not available for the Browns in this matchup. Besides that, you have uh, Njoku, who is out for a while with an ankle injury. He, I believe, is on IR, or at least he's definitely out for the next month or so. Besides that, a couple of questionable tags all on the defensive side. You have Clowney, who's questionable. You have uh, Greedy Williams, who's questionable. You have Newsom the second, who's questionable. So Cleveland might, and Denzel Ward's already been ruled out with a concussion. So Cleveland might be missing three of its main cornerbacks in this game. And that's why I kind of find the line interesting because of just how many people are not available or might not be available on Cleveland's team. And I'm going to find that fascinating. But to get into the Bengals injury report, there's really one name to focus on. Of course, it is Jamar Chase, who has the hip injury, and he will be out for about a month or two, probably somewhere, uh, I'd say, closer to a month. We know athletes, especially if the Bengals are in a potential war in the AFC North, probably with the Ravens, then you're going to end up seeing Chase potentially be rushed back. I'm hoping he won't get injured again. We'll see. But either way, he is unavailable for this game. Besides that, you do have Eli Apple, uh, who is the one of the starting corners for Cincinnati. Now, we know that he's kind of a meme because he talks a lot of trash and a lot of people think he's not very good. However, he is still a starting corner and he is doubtful for this game with a hamstring injury, so keep that in mind. You have Hendrickson, who is the Bengals' best defensive lineman by a wide margin, who's questionable with a neck injury. You have Tupo, defensive tackle, who's also questionable with a calf injury. Uh, you have Lael Collins on the offensive line, who's questionable with an ankle injury. Uh, besides that, you have Reeder, who is out uh, with a knee injury. Uh, yeah, both teams, a lot of injuries. That's kind of my main takeaway here. I think Cincinnati's injury report is probably... A little bit better than Cleveland's, but it's rough for both teams. And that's why you have seen some under money coming in because both teams offensively are missing some weapons and they're also banged up on the offensive line. However, the total is kind of what I want to focus on because I kind of disagree with the line movement. And I get the idea. It's a primetime game. They've been very low scoring. Cleveland wants to run the ball. Cincinnati's missing chase. I get it. But with Cleveland potentially missing its top three corners and Clowney might not play and they're missing some linebackers, I really think Burrow could have a lot of success in this game, even without Chase in the lineup. And we know Higgins is still really good. Tyler Boyd's still really good. And you're looking at even the tight ends. I think Hurst's a pretty good tight end. Mixon is a good running back. I still trust Burrow to play well because from what we've seen the last couple of weeks, the offensive line, 
has been a little bit better, at least compared to the start of the season. Start of the season was getting serious David Carr vibes where he looked like he was going to die by week 10. But to go through the last couple of games, Burrow has had at least 300 yards passing in each of the last two, 300 yards against the Saints and 481 yards against the Falcons. A uh, game before the Saints won, he had 217 against Baltimore. Uh, he had 287 against Miami, 275 against the Jets. So after an 0-2 start where he was sacked six-plus times in each of the first two games, he's been sacked less than four times in each of the last five games. So the offensive line has started to piece it together. And as a result, you have seen Burroughs' numbers really jump off the page. He's thrown one interception since week one. Uh, since week two, I mean. So he threw four against Pittsburgh, which was a train wreck. Zero against Dallas, zero against the Jets, zero against Miami, one against Baltimore, zero against New Orleans, and zero against Atlanta. So he has been really secure with the football, and I think you should end up seeing him perform well, even with his star weapon being out of this matchup. Plus, Cleveland also not very good against the run, which is going to be a problem because you're looking at Cleveland's numbers against the run. They're allowing 135.6 rushing yards per game. And in the last three games, Cleveland has allowed 165.3 rushing yards per game. And if you are curious, it is not good. In fact, it is the fourth most in the league. So the point is, I do think Mixon should be heavily involved here. I see his prop at around 63 and a half. Some books have 67 and a half, so meet in the middle, call it 65. But I do think that there's a decent chance he goes over. But I am wondering, since there's so many injured defensive backs, if Cincinnati will continue to keep the workload light for Mixon and let Burrow try to take the top off of the defense because we know that Higgins and Boyd are capable of really taking any reception to the crib. And... I do think Burrow's passing yards are intriguing because of it, especially since the passing yards are only at 266 and a half. I get the argument is they might want to run the ball because Cleveland's bad against the run. But when you're missing that many corners and Clowney might not play as well, I wonder how much the stats actually matter in terms of pass defense. Because if you're missing all of your main pieces, then it's not the same defense that had put up all the decent numbers. We saw that, for example, with the Niners. The Niners were elite against the run. And they were awful against Atlanta in that one game on the road because basically every starter on defense was out. So I think some stats can go out the window there. And I think Cleveland should struggle against the pass. So I do like Burrow over 266 and a half passing yards for this matchup. For the receivers, I do expect a pretty good game there from Boyd and Dash or Higgins. Higgins has the higher number, rightfully so. He's at around 74 and a half juice to the over. I do like the over. I think Higgins is in a good spot to go for six or seven catches, 80-something yards, maybe 100-something yards. I could see him having a good game. Boyd is interesting because I'm curious if he's going to move up in terms of actual routes or if he's going to stay in the slot and they'll just promote somebody else and keep Boyd where he's comfortable. So I'm not exactly sure where Boyd's going to be. You know where Higgins is going to be, and he'll be on the outside ready to dominate in the one-on-one situations. Uh, but for the overall breakdown of the side and the total i am looking at the oh boy it's tricky because the browns have won each of the last four meetings head to head and i do think that shows that stefanski has schemed very well against taylor in the past and we've seen some more things around the league we've seen it with for example yesterday we saw mcveigh lose once again uh and i do think that 
when you're just that far, just you're just getting dominated game in, game out. McVay cannot beat Shanahan in the regular season. Now, in the playoffs, he did, and that was the most important meeting because they won the Super Bowl in the end. But I think it's a similar story here, where Stefanski's ground game has really given Zach Taylor's defense problems ever since he became the head coach. And I think that could be a recipe for success for Cleveland. But with the injuries to the offensive line, you have to wonder just how successful. But I do want to also talk about the... Uh, well, well I, I, so I, I was kind of uh, tiptoeing around the answer. I think I will lean to Cincinnati uh, to win the game and to cover. I just think that Brissett late in the game is going to have a shot. It should be a one-possession game, in my opinion, because it, uh, Cleveland's a desperate team. They're at home. It's Monday night division game. I think the crowd will be into it. But I do like the Browns' first half team total over at 9.5. I think the number's too low. It's at minus 125. Uh, they are 12th in the league in first half points per game. Cincinnati's allowing the fourth most first half points per game in the league. And Cleveland, fun historical trend, has scored at least 10 points in the first half in each of the last 10 meetings. So I do think Cleveland gets off to a hot start, and then Cincinnati probably comes from behind. We know Burrow is not afraid of leading miraculous comebacks, and I do think that Cleveland, of all teams, we know is very capable of choking games away, which could potentially result in a very nice plus price once I can actually find it. If I can get Cleveland halftime and Cincinnati full-time, I think there is a lot of value on that particular prop. I'm going to try to pull that up in the meantime, but I do like the over in this game. I think 45 is just too low and I get the injury report looks scary, but I do think it kind of also benefits the over because you're going to be missing a bunch of defensive players for Cleveland. And we know Burrow can definitely generate a lot of quick strikes offensively. And I think you'll see points because Cincinnati can't stop the run right now. And Cleveland really can't stop anything right now because they're awful against the run and a lot of their secondary is gone. So Cincinnati might be able to move the ball up and down the field. But I do like the over. I think that this game has a chance to get into the 50s. And I think you'll probably see one of these teams, most likely Cincinnati, get into the 30s. But I do like that Browns first half team total over just because of historical trends and the fact that Cincinnati in the first half has been useless defensively, which kind of makes this appealing to me. But uh, looking at... The can I find a halftime full time? Where is the halftime full time? Um, okay, so I found it. Uh, if you want to take what I said, and if you want to take the Browns to be leading after the first half, and to, or when it, to, if you want to take the Browns to lead at halftime and the Bengals to win the full game, it's seven to one. And you can probably find better ones if you shop around, but the one line I see right now is seven to one. I like it. I think it really checks a lot of boxes. We know this season Cleveland has invented ways to lose games, and I do think Cincinnati might get off to a slow start without Chase. We'll see if there's an adjustment period there before they end up tinkering and figuring out a way to exploit this injured secondary. But would it shock me if Cleveland, a 2-5 and five team whose season's on the line, ends up coming out with a very motivated first-quarter effort, etc.? No, I think it's expected in front of the home crowd. So I think Cincinnati might struggle early on and then pick it up as the game goes on. But it's 7-1. to one. I like that price a lot, and I do think there's definitely value on it. But besides that, though, uh, looking at the spread, I think I am in a lean Cincinnati. Uh, it's, it's really interesting why this line is so low, and I get the fact that Stefanski's owned him, historically speaking. Talking about Taylor but I really just can't get behind the Browns here. They just invent ways to lose. I've talked about it. Brissett throws really dumb interceptions in the red zone all the time in the fourth quarter, 
and Burrow with the game on the line, I'm trying to think of many quarterbacks I would trust more than him in the league. And of course, you have your MVP candidates, your series MVP candidates like Mahomes. You have Josh Allen. You have uh, really just a lot of good options here. And Burrow, I don't think is in that same you know stature. But you're looking at how he led the team to the Super Bowl because of all the crazy second halves they had in the playoffs. Burrow is one of the clutchest quarterbacks in the league, and I think that's going to pay dividends in the second half of this game. Uh, so I'm going to go with the Bengals. Small lean. I'm not going to bet the side. I think if I was going to bet the game, I for the Bengals' perspective, I would probably take either the plus 700 prop I mentioned or take the Bengals' team total over because if they're going to win, they're probably going to end up uh, scoring a bunch of points. But I do like the over as my favorite play. I just think that you're going to see a lot of points in this matchup and 45 seems a bit too low as a result. But moving on to some of the props, I kind of segued into some of them. I do like the over on Burrow passing yards, Higgins receiving yards. I'm staying away from Boyd. I just think that matchup is pretty is pretty uh, fascinating because he's changing roles in that offense. And Higgins, you could argue, is now the wide receiver one, but he's still matchup on the outside most of the time. And I do think he'll end up uh, looking comfortable against a very banged up secondary. But as for the other props, I thought about potentially taking Pirine over one and a half receptions. Uh, he has done very well with that prop this season. However, I do wonder if he's going to be utilized that much because Mixon might have a very good game himself. And Pirine's played mostly 30% of snaps. But I do think if you're looking at a spot to take a role player to go over a very small number, I think Pirine, either for receiving yards at about 10.5 or for receptions at 1.5, might be worth a look. Now, the issue is Cleveland has been good against opposing running backs in terms of pass catching. So you might see him get covered, but it's minus 130. Pirine's had at least two receptions in each of the last three. He's had at least two receptions in five of the first seven games, and he had two receptions in the only game against Cleveland last season. Just mentioning it, I think it might be worth something. I also am looking at the first quarter over seven and a half points for a game prop that's a minus 105. Cincinnati and Cleveland. Very good in the first quarter offensively. Cincinnati's averaging 6.9 points per game in the first quarter, which ranks third in the league. And Cleveland's averaging 5.9 points per game in the first quarter, which ranks tied for fifth. So you have two top five offenses in the first quarter and a total of seven and a half. I don't mind the over there. I mentioned a little while ago that maybe it takes some uh, growing pains for, for Cincinnati to adjust to life without Chase. But with all the injuries on the defensive side for both teams, I think you could see a couple of big strikes early on. One field goal, one touchdown, you get yourself a winner. But I do like that prop as well. I am contemplating Brissett interception at minus 110. He's thrown at least one interception in three of the last four games, and Cleveland might be down a couple offensive linemen. So he might have to rush a couple of throws. Maybe he'll get hit when he throws one, and it's a free interception. We saw that with, for example, Mac Jones against the Jets. He got hit from the blind side, and the ball ended up turning into a pop-up, and it was a free interception for, I believe, Michael Carter, the defensive player. But still, point is, I think that there's definitely a path here for Brissett to throw an interception. Either Cleveland's defensive line gets home, but Hendrickson might not play, which is the question mark, or Cleveland once again down late, need a drive at the end of the game, and Brissett throws a pick trying to force something because they need a touchdown. So I think there are a couple ways to get there, but minus 110 for a guy who's thrown, who's thrown a pick in three of the last four I think is definitely intriguing, uh, but those are kind of my main props I'm looking at. Besides that, though, 
think that's kind of going to wrap up the overall preview. Kind of want to get this podcast. Sh- I want to keep this podcast short and sweet because it is also 3.30 in the morning. So I feel like I said what needs to be said, and it's time to move on to the lock and dog. But until or b- but before we actually get into the lock and dog, do I want to take another word from our sponsor? We're also brought to you by the Sports Gambling Podcast YouTube channel because they are having a special promotion. They are giving you a chance to win your choice of either an autographed Lawrence Taylor jersey or an autographed Brian Dawkins jersey. And the best part, the contest is completely free to enter. There's three steps. I'm going to walk you through how to do it. Step one, subscribe to YouTube.com slash Sports Podcast. Step two, comment on a video. Each video is a new chance to win. And step three, turn on your notifications so you don't miss SGP contacting you when they pull the winner. Welcome back, everyone, to the NFL Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the Monday night game between the Bengals and the Browns. Now it's time to get into the lock and dog picks. Starting off with the lock, I'm contemplating which over I want to take. It's either going to be the full game over, the Browns' first half team total over, or I take a Burrow uh, player prop over for passing yards because he's been really good. The only concern there is that Cleveland wants to drain a lot of clock because they want to run the ball. And I'm assuming that's why there has been under money. But I really just see points in this game. I think that both teams can really excel offensively in what the defense should struggle in because Cincinnati is relatively balanced. They mostly throw in the past couple of weeks, but since Cleveland's so bad against the run, I think that Mixon's capable enough to torch this defense, while Burrow's definitely capable of torching this defense, even without Chase. And Cleveland's very good at running the ball, and Cincinnati on the road has been really just inconsistent defensively. So I think for this one, I'm going to go to the Browns team total over in the first half. Nine and a half, I just think it's too short for a desperate home team. And you're looking at Cleveland offensively, pretty good in the first half. Uh, Cincinnati is bottom five in opponent points per game in the first half. And with all the injuries to the defense, Eli Apple might not play, who's one of their top two corners. You have Hendrickson, who might not play. There's just so many question marks, and I do think as a result, you might see Cleveland get off to a pretty good start at home. And for my dog, it's really tricky to find the dog that I actually like. So we're going to go with, you know what? We're going to go swinging. We're going to go down swinging because it's fun. We're going to take that 7-1 prop. We're going to take the Browns to be leading at halftime and the Bengals to win the game. And that's going to be plus 700. So, you know, I'm not going to say this one's going to win because it takes a lot to actually win this prop, but it it's a nice Hail Mary play there at 7-1, to and I do like the price. So other than that, though, that's going to do it for this episode of the NFL Gambling Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Rice Radio. You can also, of course, expect a lot of other episodes uh, from the likes of Munaf, from Dylan, from Ryan, a lot of different guys who contribute to the NFL Gambling Podcast. Shout out to them. And then we all try to put out great content. And so far, the season's been good. Let's keep it rolling. But until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.